Good morning and welcome to our service today. We're so thankful you're here. If you're a guest, we want you to know that you're welcome. We want you to get to know us and let us get to know you so that we can all uh, serve the Lord together. If you're looking for a church home, we want you to know that we're looking for you as well. I really don't know of a better way of starting this lesson this morning than by just point blank asking, are you happy? You know, there are some happy people here this morning, I know that. They're happy because of things in their life. They're happy because, you know, they, they have people in their life. And I know there's a possibility today as well that there are some who are not so much. They're not as happy as others. They, they have burdens. They have things that are in their life that they uh, have that are not making them have the joy or preventing them from having the joy that, that we talk about and that we desire to have that we want. You know, as we think about that, the United States, according to a, a survey that was done by the United Nations of 150 different nations, actually a little more than 150 nations, and, and they surveyed 3,000 people out of each one of these nations, and, and the United States out of these 150 plus nations ranked number 18. With all the blessings, with all the good things that we have, you know, we should probably be one of the most happy people in the world, but yet uh, we're not all the way up there. We're not at the top of the list. And, and not only that, but you know what? According to uh, uh, some other surveys and work that has been done, uh, uh, according to what was written in the Washington Post on 12-16-2017, that was December of last year, there was a, a guy who wrote uh, and said this. He said, Americans are in greater pain than citizens of other countries and have been growing steadily more miserable for decades, according to a new working paper by David G. Blanchflower of Dartmouth College and Andrew Oswald of the University of Warwick. And their doctoral studies and the things that they were looking at in America and, and talking to people and surveying people they have seen and shown that we are getting worse and worse, unhappier after day, day after day after day. You know what? That is a very, very sad thing, isn't it? You know, I, I probably need to ask the question this morning, do we really know what it takes to make us happy? If I were to ask you today, what does it take, what would it take to make you happy and you had to give me a list of things or hand it over to somebody else or at least just look at it yourself, do you really know what it takes to make you happy? I suggest to you that there are some misunderstandings that are out there. There are some things that people think that will make them happy that, that really won't solve the problem that really will not help us be more happy, more joyous people in this world. When I think about happiness and understand about um, what it takes, I am reminded of Solomon and what he did so long ago. A long, long time ago, King Solomon set out to find out what makes folks happy. We need to remember that God had given him wisdom beyond measure, beyond what we normally would have, God had given him that, and so he set out to find out what it takes to make people happy. And so he began to look. Well, what are some of the things that, that Solomon, as we think about, looked at? If you go to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, I said in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. 
But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad and of pleasure. What use is it? He's looking at these things in chapter 2, verse number 11. He says, When I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. What all did Solomon try? He's talking about it. He's testing it out. What all did he try? Let me show you eight things that he tried. Number one, as we think about Solomon, he tried wine. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2 at verse number 3. Solomon said, I searched my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under the sun or under heaven during the few days of their life. Solomon said, I tried it in alcohol. I tried it in, in wine. I, I wanted to see if that would, would make people happy. And, and you know what? We'll come to this conclusion in just a little bit, but I'll go ahead and enlighten you a little bit. Solomon said, that didn't do it. Well, what else did you try, Solomon? Solomon tried women, didn't he? If you go back to verse number 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he talks about how that he would test himself with pleasure. And if you go to verse number 8, one of the pleasures that he discusses is that he had many concubines. He had women in his life. And we know from um, 1 Kings chapter 11 at verse 3 that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. In other words, sexual pleasures, women would not make him any more happy. But you know what? Not only did Solomon try wine and women, Solomon tried song as well. We, we hear that sometimes, you know, don't we? We try wine, women, and song. And Solomon tried it, you know, so long ago. Think about what he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 8. He said, I got singers, both men and women. He tried song. Somebody says, well, he didn't have an iPod or anything like that. No, he didn't. Uh, he was the king. He could bring the band to him. And, you know, he could bring the concert to him. He said, I tried that. And really and truly, again, skipping ahead, it did not make him happy. He tried wine. He tried women. He tried song. What else did he try? Well, he tried money. Please ask these two, verse number eight. Solomon said, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. Solomon, how much did you get? Second Chronicles 9, verses 13 and 14. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Besides that, which the explorers and merchants brought, and all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land brought gold and silver, hundreds of millions of dollars every year poured into his coffers, poured into his pockets. Solomon said, I tried it, and it did not make me happy. Well, what else did you try? If that won't make you happy, what about education? Solomon said, I tried that too. If you go back to chapter 1 at verse 13, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. I'm trying to educate myself on all of these things. I, I, I set, out to do, set out to do that. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Do you remember in chapter 12, at verse number 12, in Ecclesiastes, what he said? 
He said, of making many books there is no end, and much study is weariness to the flesh. If you've ever studied real hard, you know that it makes you tired. Solomon said, I tried it. I know what I'm talking about. And so he tried education. I'll make myself smart. He already had wisdom, but he said, I'll have some education as well. And that wouldn't do it either. What about fame and power? Ecclesiastes chapter 2 at verse number 9. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. He was so well known that the queen of Sheba came from afar to see him. And so he had fame and he had power in those things. Well, what about, if that didn't do it for him, what about mere possessions? Not just the money, but the possessions that he had. Look at chapter 2 at verse number 10. In Ecclesiastes 2, verse 10, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. If he wanted to buy him a new big screen TV, that's what he bought. Now, I understand they didn't have big screens back then because they didn't have TV, but I'm using that to illustrate. Whatever it was he wanted. Did he want a new car, a Lamborghini or something? They didn't have cars back then, but they did have chariots, and he had some nice ones. Whatever he wanted, he tried. It didn't do it for him. Well, if that wouldn't do it, what about accomplishments? Surely, you know, he could be happy in having done so many things. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, Behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I tried doing things. I tried, you know, making things look good and be good and have things done so that my name could be emblazoned on a building. And it did not do it for him. And I'm sure as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, there are other things that we could find in regard But his conclusion in the beginning, in the middle, and the end of the book was all the same. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 2, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's nothing. In chapter 6 at verse 2, he says, A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them. He says, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. And then notice what he says at the end of that verse. It is a grievous evil. For a man not to be able to enjoy all that stuff. He said it's grievous evil. What do you mean by that? Well, the word translated evil there, illness, sickness, affliction, wound. And so... Solomon is literally saying something like this. For a man not to be able to enjoy that is just wickedly sick. It's just wickedly sick. And yet we have in our own nation so many who have so much, and it's wickedly sick that they're unable to enjoy life, to have happiness and joy in life. I said at the beginning, at the middle, and the end, there's only 12 chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 12 at verse 8 says, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. 
You know, most folks won't take Solomon's word for it. Most folks, most folks won't listen to what he said. I, Solomon said, I've tried it all out. And yet, folks today still long for all these things, and they think that if they have all of these things, then they will be happy. They won't listen to Solomon. They have to test them all out themselves, try them out to see, to find out if Solomon was right. And you know what? Most of the time they find out that, well, yeah, Solomon knew what he was talking about. These are not the things that make us happy. And so if all the earthly things that we could talk about that Solomon tried, if all these things won't make us happy, then what will? Now I ask you at the beginning, are you happy? Then I ask you, I said, do you know what it would take to make you happy? We're still working on that. If all that, that stuff won't make us happy, what will? You know, when we think about the Psalms, we think generally about the writer of the Psalms being David. And David did write a number of those uh, uh, pages in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. But he was not the only writer. We also know that Solomon himself was a writer of some of the Psalms. Uh, we know, for example, Psalm 72 and Psalm 127 were written by Solomon. And it's also quite likely that he wrote some more, including Psalm 1. The very introduction to the book of Psalms. It may have been that Solomon, the son of David, took the writings of his dad, compiled them, and then gave them an introduction, if you will, in chapter number 1 or Psalm number 1. And if you were listening this morning, Harrison, he read from Psalms, Psalm 1 which probably came from the pen of Solomon, the man who tried all of these things, these eight things that we've mentioned from the book of Ecclesiastes. And yet Solomon writes about a happy person. Notice what he said there in Psalm 1, verse number 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. Blessed. Blessed. If I were to ask you this morning to give me a definition of the word blessed, what would you say? How would you define it? What would you tell me that it means? You know, a lot of times when we think about a person who's blessed, we think about a person who's enjoying good fortune, don't we? That, that, that things are going well for him in, in life. Uh, we talk about one who is blessed with a good family, or blessed with a good job, or blessed with a nice home. Don't we? All of that is associated with good fortune. But that's really not what the psalmist says. That's not the use of the word that he makes of it. That Hebrew word has to do with happiness. And it's translated as happiness in other passages in the Old Testament. We won't take time to read them, but you could look at Deuteronomy chapter 33 at verse 29, 1 Kings chapter 10 at verse 8, 2 Chronicles chapter 9 at verse 7. And yet, even if we translate it with the word happiness, when, when we have that word blessed or when we use that word, simple word happiness, still somewhat bland to us in English. Because the Hebrew is telling us so much more. Matter of fact, the word is plural, I'm told. I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any stretch of the imagination. And so it literally means something like this. 
Oh, the happiness many times over. Oh, the happiness many times over. If you were to read from the Greek language, the translation into Greek of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, you would find an interesting word that's used in Psalm 1 at verse number 1. And uh, it's the same word that we find in the New Testament a number of times. For example, in the book of Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 3, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are mourned. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Oh, the happiness of. Makarios. The happiness of. Even used in Revelation 14, verse 13, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Oh, the happiness many times over of those who die in the Lord. And so, whatever it is the psalmist is talking about here in Psalm 1, verse 1, number 1, uh, through verse 3 or 4, whatever it is that he's telling us to do, he, he tells us that's what makes for happiness. And so I want to know more. Not only that, but I want you to notice as well that not only does he say blessed, but he says blessed is. Blessed is. You know, what he talks about is simply this. The psalmist is speaking about a man who has a present possession. He has happiness in his grasp. He has joy there in his life at that time. It's a picture of one who's happy now. And not only that, it's a, it's a joy that neither, as one writer put it, neither crosses nor losses can take away from him. That, that the suffering and the, 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 the difficulties of life, he has that kind of joy. And he has it right now. Well, what precipitates that joy in, in the life of this man? Let me call your attention back to what he says there in verses 1 and 2, Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law, his law, he meditates day and night. You know, when I look at that and I read that, I find two things that jump out at me. Number one, there are some things that this person must not do if he wants to have happiness. Things that he must not do if he's going to be a happy, joyous person. Well, what must he not do? Number one... He must not walk in the counsel of the wicked. When we talk about that word walk, we're talking about a word which means something like a casual movement along the way. When we're talking about counsel, walks not in the counsel, we're talking about a definite, firm, planned direction. In other words, it's a, a way that somebody tells you to go. Walks not in the counsel of, well, who is it that's directing his life? Counsel of the wicked. These men and women who are out of joint with God, they, they have little or no regard for God's statutes or conduct. Let me translate that for us. When we try to do it like the world, does it? When we listen to people who are around us 
who are worldly people and try to do things their way, what we're going to find is they don't know the way to happiness. Solomon says, the man who is happy, he doesn't walk in those ways. Not only does he say that, what about stand in the way of sinners? When you stand, something about the movement has stopped. You know, that's, that's what he's talking about here. The movement has stopped. You're no longer going, but you've stopped in the path. When we're talking about the path, we're talking about a marked out path, a, a certain and precise way of life. You are, you're camping out, if you will. You've stopped to explore what man has said. But he says, who walks not or stands not in the path of sinners, those who are missing the mark, those who are going astray. It describes in this place the habitual offenders of God's will. And so when we start listening to them and we, we stop to see, we're losing our happiness. Then he says, you can't sit in the seat of the scornful, as the one translation says, scoffers, English Standard Version, to sit. In other words, to take up permanent residence, as it were, by sitting down. You're, you're relaxed. You're in a resting position there. You're not just standing anymore. You've completely stopped to be there. Sits in the seat, the habitation, the permanent residence of the scoffers. You see, that's the one who continually makes light of that which is sacred. The blasphemous crowd, if you will. Those who set themselves against in defiance of God. You may have friends who are of the world who are telling you this is how you can be happy. Old devil is telling you this is how you can be happy. If you just do these things, you'll be happy. And if you camp out there, if you, if you just move in there, Solomon says it's not going to work. Blessed is the man who does not do these things. So there's some things that he must not do, but there's also some things that he must do. What must he do? Well, his delight must be in the law of the Lord. Of course, we're talking about God's Word, the Bible. By delight, it's a word which means desire, pleasure. To him, what the Bible has to say is not just annoying or irritating or some burden but he's really happy to know what it has to say. And he's really willing to listen. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And the psalmist said he meditates on it day and night. He places his mind. He muses. He ponders on it. He makes a determined effort to learn its meaning. I want you to punch pause right there for just a minute. And let's just sort of take a little detour and we'll come back to where we are. Why do so many Christians find themselves without joy and happiness in their life? I want to suggest to you this morning that one reason, perhaps one of the biggest reasons that we have 
that lack of joy and happiness in our life is because they have not repented. Preacher, I'm trying to live my life right. I, I, I don't drink, I don't cuss, I don't do all these other things that some other people do, and I'm still not happy. You know, there's a passage in the Old Testament, or Proverbs 23 at verse number 7. I could quote it to you from the English Standard Version, but the ESV makes it a little harder to understand, so let's go with the New King James. New King James simply says it this way, For as a man thinks, or as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. You know, we're basically the product of how we think aren't we? Basically the product of how we think. And and, and you know what? What about that word? You know, if you were to go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when the people asked what they needed to do, what did Peter tell them? Repent. Be baptized. If you were to go to passages such as Acts chapter 5, verse 31... The Bible says, speaking about Jesus, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. We could trace that out, Acts 17, 30, 31. But if I were to ask you this morning, what does it mean to repent? Again, if you were to give the definition of repent, what would you say? Oh, oh, that's easy, Mark. That's easy. It just means that we quit doing wrong things. Now I want you to imagine you're on a game show. And you know when you hear that, that buzzer? You know you got it wrong. Right? I got your attention, didn't I? Would you like to try again? If I ask you what repentance means... What does it mean? Well, like in Acts chapter 5 at verse 31 and other passages which use that word repent or repentance, it's a word that means a change of mind. It has to do with the thinking of a person. And so, what we're told to do, even to become a Christian, is to repent. And when we repent, folks, we change the way we think. We change the way we think. Now again, I have another question for you, and we've got to go quick because our time is about out. Would you say the apostles were men who had repented? When we're talking about Peter and James and John, and you know, Peter could do some really stupid stuff, couldn't he? Lord, I'll never deny you. And before the sun came up, denied him three times. Yet we find him preaching the gospel, eventually giving his life. So would you say that he had repented? Probably most of us would. Well, I want you to think about in Acts chapter 5, verse 31, that's what they were preaching, preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins. But I want you to keep reading, and you can do this this afternoon, but go down to chapter 5 of the book of Acts, verses 40 and 41. 
The Bible says, And when they had called the apostles, this is the leader of the Jewish people, they beat them. They beat them. And charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left, that is the apostles, left the presence of the council. And I hope you got your Bible open and you'll underline this word. They left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. You know, I'm pretty sure this morning that those apostles were not happy about being beaten. Pretty sure they weren't. Uh, you know, I can't imagine a person whose flesh is, is bruised at, at least and probably broken open at most being happy about that. Yet the Bible says they rejoiced. You know, some folks equate joy and happiness with mere pleasure. It can be established from Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 25 that, that that pleasure is can be joyous. If we were to take a look at Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 and following this morning, we'd find some things in there. In that group of things that is called the works of the flesh that some people make, they think it makes them really happy. For example, sexual immorality and sensuality and drunkenness and orgies, those things that are there. He said, you know, that seems to make some folks happy, but you know what? The people who do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God, he says in verse number 21. And then he says, verse 22, but... But what? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. You see, happiness, joy is not to be found in these mere pleasures. Some people think that's what makes them happy, but that's not the case. You know, some are joyful even in the midst of suffering. James even wrote, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Anybody going through trials? Anybody unhappy? Hurting because of life? What's going on in your life? I think that's what was happening in Acts chapter 5. These men were arrested. They were beaten. They were let out of jail after they had been beaten. They were told, don't preach anymore. And yet they were happy. How is that possible? Were they just lunatics? How is it possible? Folks, they had changed the way they think. They'd repented. I asked you that question before we started that last little part there. They had repented. They had changed the way they think. You see, like Solomon, they had come to understand real happiness and joy is not to be found in earthly things, nor things of the earth. They have come to delight in the law of the Lord and to meditate on it day and night, and these men gave their very life for 
the sake of Christ. Good friends, until we've repented, changed the way that we think about things, it's quite likely that we'll never find joy, happiness in our lives. It's been elusive up to this point, perhaps, in your life. But note the pleasantness of the one that Solomon writes about in Psalm 1. Verse number 3 said, He's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Think of yourself out on the creek bank in the shade of a beautiful tree and the peace, the joy that you can have there. Solomon said he's like that tree that's out there. Plenty of water, plenty of everything he needs. And he continues to prosper. Why? He delights in the law of the Lord. And on that law he meditates day and night. Where have you been seeking for happiness? Is it beyond the bounds of what God teaches us in His Word? Maybe some even sinful things in our lives. We'll never find the happiness and we'll never become happy until we've changed the way we think. You know what? When we change the way we think, it also changes the way we act because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In the third century, a man by the name of Cyprian wrote to his friend by the name of Donatus. Cyprian is called the Bishop of Carthage. He said, it's a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world, but I've discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found joy, which is a thousand times better than any of the pleasures of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. He goes on and says, they have overcome the world. Well, Cyprian, who are you talking about? Cyprian goes on, these people, Donatus, are Christians, and I'm one of them. I can't promise you as a Christian that all your troubles will be over and that your life will be a bed of roses. I simply cannot do that. But what I can promise you is that in the midst of anything you face in life, that you can have true, real, lasting happiness and joy. No matter the situations in which we find ourselves. Because we know that even if everything in this earth Everyone and everything turns against us. We still have God. And if we live for a hundred years, yeah, if we even had the opportunity to live for a thousand years with everyone and everything against us, we would still have eternity with God. who would wipe every tear from our own eyes, take every hurt and every pain away, and let us live in His house for eternity.
In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Peter wrote, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. Think about those words. And fill with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The Lord wanted us to have an abundant life here. A glorious life here. Unfortunately, sin entered the world. And we won't always be necessarily happy with the sinful things. We can't be happy with the sinful things. But we can be happy even in the midst of the, simple, uh, the sinful things when our mind is set on God. And we understand He is there with us and for us and will take care of us, no matter what. Do you need God in your life today? Do you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, becoming a member of His body, His church? Do you this morning need to come back to Him to begin to have that joy and happiness in your life that only comes when we think rightly about God, the world, life, and everything that there is. If you need to respond in a public way today, why don't you come right now as we stand and sing.